0: Welcome to Recode Media with Peter Kafka, that is me. And this week I'm talking to Rob Walker, who, as I discussed in this interview, is someone who I've admired and looked up to for like two decades. Uh, he's a writer for a lot of different places. Most recently, he was working on a Medium publication. And now, like everyone else, he's got his own Substack. And we talk about all of that. And it's partly a chance for Rob to talk about his work and partly for him and I to talk about what it's like to be an actual creator in the creator economy which is a phrase we're using a lot hearing a lot of these days and i'm not sure it always means the same thing so i wanted to hear rob talk about that so we did that and as an aside i was thinking earlier this week that i would spend some time today talking about naomi osaka uh, the tennis player who pulled out of the french open because she didn't want to do press conference because she said it was difficult for her um her mental health and I had a hot take about that and I spent some time tweeting about it. And then by the time I got time to record this today, I thought I don't need to talk about Naomi Osaka now. You could read Jason Gay's excellent column in the Wall Street Journal about her. Um, And there's no need for me to talk about the thing that everybody was talking about a day ago, which is kind of one of the things Rob and I talk about in this discussion as well. So less of me talking and more of me and Rob talking coming up right now. I'm here with Rob Walker, who is one of my favorite authors, and I was just doing the math or the calendaring, and I think it's like two decades of following your writing and and talking to you. Welcome, Rob. We've known each other for for just over 20 years, I believe. That's right. Um, I don't want to go all the way in the Wayback Machine, but you were (laughs) one of the first people who I saw. I read your writing on the internet. It was at slate.com at the time, and on a whim, I sent you an email based on something you wrote about, and you responded, and I was just thrilled. That you could reach out to someone across the internet,
1: who's writing you <laughs> liked, and they would respond to you. So, welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, you know, that was lesson learned from on my end too. That's like that's reader interaction. You know, be receptive to your readers. You never know what'll happen, and here it is paying off. Two decades later, I'm, I'm on your show.
0: That's that's not much payoff, Rob.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: like I said, Rob has written for Slate.com and the New York Times and the publication formerly known as
1: Medium's Technologies site. Was that Marker? Was Marker that and Marker still is business and uh, technically still exists. Technically um, still
0: exists. Um, it's it gone exists. through yet another Medium pivot. Um, done a ton of freelance writing, great books. Um, you have your own Substack, as does everyone these days. <laughs> and I want to talk about what's in the Substack, and then we'll talk about sort of Substack in general, because it's of intense interest to, to this audience. So it's The Art of Noticing, which is based on a book. Why don't you tell us what that means and what it's about?
1: Yeah, so about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I guess, the book came out, The Art of Noticing. And it started out, so I, you know, this is a pretty standard issue move. Got a book coming out. Make your newsletter kind of about it, so you can promote your book. And the book is uh, ways. It's set up as a series of prompts and exercises to help people, you know, get better at noticing and attention. And kind of a fighting back the attention economy type of book. Um, very action oriented. Uh, take a color walk. Things like this. That if we're. I, if I call it self help, will you be offended? I will not be offended. It is kind of a. It's like, but it's like really hip self help. Yeah, well,
0: that's the best kind of self-help, right? It's,
1: it's the help kind help. You, self-help.
0: Self-help with an
1: ad. The kind you could sell a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's self-help with data references and stuff like that sprinkled through it. So, but this know, is this little... is
0: something that's been a theme in I think in my world for a bit, right? How do you unplug yourself from yeah. the screens and tech that we've been relentlessly covering? Not really thinking about what it means to be immersed in that, and now there's sort of a general move to sort of pull back from that. And I think that's sort of the the zeitgeist you're you're engaged in.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And it evolved somewhat out of, I teach a little bit. I teach a design class called Point of View at the School of Visual Arts, and it, it was heavily influenced by that class because part of what I'm trying to do with students is convince them that, you know, their unique perspective matters and noticing things that are off kilter is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I think that especially when people in their 20s get a little hooked on the idea that like, well, if I'm talking about it, but no one else is like, it's not trending on Twitter, then maybe it doesn't matter. And part, the core argument is, no, that matters more than anything. That's what makes you, you know, stand out and different, unique, makes you a person. So that's what the book was. And that was also
0: kind of the premise of early internet thinking, too, is like you can follow your own little path and and you'll find your insights. And maybe they'll resonate with other people. The idea that, that you would try to find the thing that sure. everyone is talking about, which is now the standard way of engaging the internet, um, was not the way we thought about it at the time.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, it's still, still the internet is, uh, as we'll get to there's still plenty of niche stuff going on you find your way and, and all that like in some ways all that promise came true but it just it just took a lot of like a lot of unexpected turns that um I, that i do think are tougher in some ways for people who have grown up with it uh because they sort of it's part of their social life in a way that it wasn't for us and things like that.
0: Um, you will literally see, it's it's a way that I see, I'm, I'm doing, spending a lot of TikTok time now. There's just clearly a lot of people saying, this is a thing that is on TikTok. It's popular on TikTok. Thus, I am talking about it and responding to it. Twitter trends is the same yeah. way. And it just seems natural and intuitive for lots of people. And you and others are saying, well, it doesn't have to be that way.
1: Right. And, you know, that brings us to FOMO and all that kind of stuff. And that's, all that stuff is real. And There are logical reasons to be up on what everybody's up on, but um, it becomes limiting at some point. And a lot of times the thing you're quote-unquote missing out on is something that no one's going to remember in two weeks anyway. So you may as well just go ahead and miss out on it and do something and find something or appreciate something or be something uh, of your own and original. Um, so that's the message of the book. And, and then it became the message of the newsletter. And the newsletter... I was, I had it on tiny letter. Uh, It was very much just the same message as the book, but new things I hadn't been able to put in the book or things that were new ideas. Who's the community for that newsletter at the time? Is it people who have read the book and
0: want more? Is it people who've never read the book? What's your sense of sort of how that works? So, so, so
1: it's, it's, you're no longer trying to promote the book at this point, I assume. At the time, I was definitely trying to promote the book. So it was a way of getting attention to the book. And, you know, you're doing, when you do a book, you're doing talks and things like this. So you here's my, you know, put it on the screen, here's my newsletter, follow me. Like, it's, it's, it's just similar to Twitter or something like, like say, hey, follow me. Now that you've seen me talk or now that you've heard me on this podcast, uh, follow me on whatever. So it was just one of those. And um, I mean, I was a f- proud of it, but, <laughs> but it, took, it took on more of a life of its own than I had anticipated. And kind of when I got to the point where you would be winding it down because the book tour stuff was kind of over, it had grown enough to where it, it had reached the limit of tiny letters, tiny letter has an upper limit of I think 5,000 subscribers. So I had to move it to something. And I moved it to Substack. And this was in the la- summer of 2019, I guess, before people were calling it a subst- You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, you have a Substack. Like it was just a that, newsletter tool. That didn't exist. No one even noticed, like no one cared what tool you were using for your newsletter. But, um, but I like, and I had no intention of monetizing it at all. I thought it was slightly interesting that this was a thing that existed there, but I just thought it was easy to use. I could port all my addresses over in five seconds. It worked and uh, it was free. So those were the, <laughs> <laughs> that was all the homework. Sold, yeah. On it. Yeah, and it kind of uh, grew from there. And I, I was not expecting it to become something that I would take a flyer on, but uh, the stars have aligned in such a way where it kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, I wanna talk about that in a second, but Just, but back to the art of noticing, cause it's, uh, you sent me the book when it came out, it's great. Um, it's and again, and this is also gonna sound like a dismissive praise, but but it's kind of bathroom reading, right? You can it's short little chapters, they're ideas, yeah. and they're all sort of along the lines of in your newsletter this week, you you talk about an experience like you take a bike ride through New Orleans where you live, and usually you stop at this certain point and turn around because it's sort of an industrial wasteland, and you say, right. No, actually take a right and keep going. Yeah. Um, and see yeah. what that's like. And and they're all sort of thought slash real life experiments like that, that you can think about and try.
1: Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right that the book is, and, that, and you know, that's high praise in the publishing world, a bathroom book. It was designed to be read in short, like to be flipped around and there's three or four different ways you can approach that book. You can read it straight through that things are ranked by difficulty. So you can look at the, the difficult ones just look for short, easy ones, whatever. So the newsletter continues in that vein and it is, like, the newsletter is, is a little self-helpy and a little bit, um, you know, uh, the way that I like to think about it, I guess it sounds more highbrow, is that it's, not highbrow, but that sounds less uh, Gwyneth Paltrow or something. It's, it's very, it's, it's meant to be action-oriented. Like, it's, I'm not trying to convince, like, I don't think that people need to spend a lot of time being convinced that their attention is under assault right right we can do that in 10 seconds here and yeah then we ne- all next. know everybody yeah. knows that i don't need to explain that you know you social media is really addictive like uh, everybody knows so what i'm trying to say is like well what can you actually do and um and you don't even have to do it all the time it's just sort of i want to make this i want to make that take take a right and go through the industrial wasteland i want to show that that's actually kind of cool and beneficial and it's you know, I don't get too bogged down in what it does for your brain, but there is this kind of, you know, you know, there, there, there are payoffs to these things that are that are real.
0: Have you ever thought about trying to goop this and, and productize it and and <laughs> and I mean, I don't know, sell I don't know higgy blankets or I don't, I don't well, know what the version, <laughs> I mean, beyond the actual uh, Substack itself, have you ever I, I considered mean, like I mean, you could be
1: a lifestyle guru? <laughs> I mean. So uh, the newsletter, went the pay thing for the newsletter, it hasn't even kicked in. Like I just announced, you know, I just, started, mm-hmm. I just started making it available for subscription two days ago. So it's a little early for merch. Yeah. But uh, you never know. You never know. <laughs> T-shirts, maybe.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned the stars aligning for this. So uh, part of it is that there's a way to make money, in theory, yeah. doing this on Substack. And part of it, as I alluded to before, uh, you were, I assume it's connected, that you were being paid to write for Medium. And I yep. assume that is no longer the case. Um, right. So you join a long list of people who started working on a project for Medium and then Medium abandoned it or 180. Did you? Did, what was your thought going into? Because and obviously you, you knew what you were. I think you knew what you were getting into when you started writing for Medium. Were you? Were you?
1: Were your eyes open to the idea that it could go away? I certainly knew the history. In fact, I had written for. Um, there was a previous generation, as you know, a previous generation of Medium publications that included a design publication called Reform. That was terrific. uh, That was edited by Sarah Rich, and uh, I I did a number of pieces for that, and um, that wound out. So I, I knew that history. I when they decided to launch this new batch of publications, I was interested, you know, and I was interested in. I had I hadn't. I have been freelance for a long time, going back to when we first met, and I was at you know freelancing for Slate. Um, I was usually associated with some publication, but I hadn't been on staff and I was interested in being on staff at a tech company that was doing media basically, which is how I would characterize medium. So, you know, obviously that year didn't work out the way I think anybody (laughs) predicted Mm -hmm. because within a few months of starting, you know, the pandemic happened, all of the, the racial social justice summer stuff happened. It was a strange time to be trying to establish uh, a brand. M- you know, Medium is an established brand, but Marker was not, so it was a tough time. And um, and then, well, basically, long story short, Medium did decide to change its emphasis uh, away from editorial um, publications. I mean, I don't speak for Medium, but uh they, I, I it's, mean, it's, it's all, all right p- you
0: you could you could literally say that sentence any year of the last five or six years because oh, well, they i they, they they no no that they, they they decide to pivot away from whatever strategy they, <laughs> yeah. they just had and <laughs> it's a running joke except for people like you who are in the middle of it and have lost a, a lost income
1: yeah right well so i want to be clear i'm not saying anything negative about me i understand but just as a, as a fact what happened was they offered buyouts to uh, basically the entire editorial staff and uh I don't know. Some large percent, over half people just went ahead and took them, including uh, me, and including you know, notably both my editor and deputy editor at Marker, who were you know the people I was there to work with. So I, I I did consider there were you know I could have stayed, um, found some new role. It didn't really, it just didn't really make sense for me, or I didn't think it would make sense for me. And and really for most of the people who had the the title writer. Almost all of those people chose to leave. So it was a very generous buyout. So it gave me some options and gave me some time to think. Now I had kept the Substack going. (laughs) See, now I'm calling it a Substack. I had -hmm. kept the newsletter going the whole time uh, as every other week. Uh, So it was a weekend hobby. And like I say, it had kind of an audience. And now I was thinking about, well, maybe I'll add a paid tier, increase the frequency and add a paid tier. And so that was one of the things I was thinking about when I left medium. And when you yeah, I assume you were following
0: the substack drama yeah. and hype and a handful of people making potentially enormous amounts of money. Yeah. And controversy about their politics. What was your thought? I'm going to be one of those guys or, I mean, the Substack argument for a long time has been d- stop concentrating on Glenn Greenwald. The, 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 this, the, <laughs> the, 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 the message from the guys who started Substack is it's it's not just about Glenn Greenwald and Matt Iglesias and yeah. Andrew Sullivan. There's lots of different voices on there. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So what was, your, what was your perception of sort of what that business looked like?
1: Yeah, well, so I was interested in Sub. So first of all, people were starting to notice that I was like, you know, hey, you've got a Substack. And what do you think about whatever Matthew Iglesias and this kind of thing? And when are you going to do So that was in, definitely in the air. And then, as you know, there was just so much heat around newsletters in general. And when I was leaving Medium, which was just a couple months ago, several of the conversations that I had with other potential places that I might go do business with involved, uh, we're launching newsletters. Do you want st- to start a newsletter?" And, you know, I don't really want to wa- launch your newsletter because I have my newsletter. And it, it eventually, it did. It, I did take some initiative and I reached out to an intermediary who knew the guy who does writing partnerships for Substack and, I, and he called me and we had a conversation. And, uh, you know, I'm clearly not a Matthew Iglesias type figure, but I did have, you know, by that time, you, you know, over 10,000 free subscribers, uh, 12, 14,000 in that range, a little higher than that now, um, that was organically built. And, you know, they looked at the engagement numbers and stuff like that, and, it's, and um, it seemed like you could make a go of this. They didn't go to recruit you. They didn't say this is the next Fire brand. But you reached out to them and said, well, I'm, I have a thing
0: here. And yeah. they said, great. Or did they say, here's some money? Or how, how does that happen?
1: Yeah, I mean it actually went pretty fast and they did once they sort of, you know, looked at some of my like engagement numbers and things like this, whatever they look at. I think I do sort of fit a kind of profile of what they of, the, of what they're trying to do, which is that I'm not a Matthew Iglesias. I'm not a big huge superstar, I'm kind of a workman, like writer with some public that I've built and can would like to make a go of it, would like to spend time with it. So they did give me some money and some editorial support in terms of Design support. They've got editors now who will work with people like me. I didn't. I wasn't like looking for an editor per se, but I was interested in having some conversations about strategy, editorial strategy for how to relaunch this. So I ended up, actually, I ended up having a consultation from Michelle Legro, who had also recently taken a buyout from Medium. So we got. To, I got to continue working with one of my colleagues uh, for a bit there. So the paid tier is launching this week, next week, soon. Yes, I announced it uh, as we speak on a Wednesday. I announced it on a Monday. And so, yeah, it's out there. The actual the way it works is that for the first couple of weeks, you, you leave everything free so people can yeah. see what they're getting. It is a big up, step up in terms of frequency, as I was doing it, as I say, every other week. And now it's sort of two big posts a week and two shorter posts a week. We'll Take a quick break from our conversation with Rob and we'll be right back after a word from this sponsor. And we're back with
0: Rob. So as you mentioned in one of your newsletters, you're, you're sort of in the creator economy now, which is kind of funny because by one version of it, you've been in the creator economy pretty much yeah. your entire life, right? You make <laughs> things and sell them and, and do different gigs. Yeah. And I'm interested in your thoughts about it because I... On the one hand, think all right, the creator economy is something Rob Walker's been doing all, all most of his his, his life. Um, and on the other hand, um, it seems like a very cynical way to talk about exploiting teenagers for a couple minutes on TikTok, um, and maybe <laughs> there's a or selling you know weird crypto projects. But on the other hand, like we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, the idea that the internet can allow people to make a living doing stuff they're interested in by reaching an audience they couldn't reach on their own without the internet is pretty appealing. And I'm wondering, do you think this is a real different version of what you've been doing in the past, or is this sort of a natural progression and this just goes along with book writing and teaching and magazine article writing that you've been doing pretty much all your life?
1: Well, I think what, first of all, so I've my context that I'm coming to this is both as a, some longtime freelance writer, but also someone who's written a number of stories about, like I wrote some of the early stuff about Kickstarter and Etsy and I've written about YouTubers and, and, and all that uh, stuff. So it's been a uh, subject of interest to me professionally for a long time and everything you said is true and like it's sort of all of the above. It's always all of the above. There are, there are real success stories there are people and so what it comes down to and what it comes down to with me, what I think is somewhat different is just the control. Um, you know, when you are a freelance writer, even if you have a column, I have had stretches of my life where I had a column for the New York Times and another one for the New York Times Magazine. And what happens is like, you know, they, the editor changes and they bring in their own people. And so you lose, you lose that whole, the thing that would be frustrating about that to me Like if I could wave a magic wand and recapture the audience that I had around Consumed, the column I was doing for the Times Magazine, I would love to be able to have that audience still in my hand because I hear from people all the time. To this day, that column ended like a decade ago. And like, oh, Consumed, whatever happened to that? I loved that column. And it's like, oh, well, I'm doing this thing now. Oh, you are. So you look like having the way to just capture those people is such a simple thing, an email list is really helpful. And I'm not saying that Substack invented that, Mm -hmm. but they have, Substack is a company that I would be interested in writing about if I weren't doing this, because I think that they are making a lot of really interesting moves. I think that the smart thing about them, and I'm obviously biased here, is that their proposition is incredibly clear. There is zero black box involved. It's, you know, you, you set the price, you sell it, we take 10%, period. That's a clear, there's nobody to blame for, <laughs> mm-hmm. for uh, there's no thumb on the scale anywhere. It's just, it's just you and that uh, model. And I think that's appealing. Whether it will work for someone like me over time or whether you really need to be, you know, have 50 or 5 million Twitter followers or something to drive people to your Substack, I don't know. And yeah, so I'm not gonna be writing about it. I'll be just uh, living it and finding out that way.
0: Uh, I'll Keep going back to this theme. There's a Chris Dixon is a, a VC at Andreessen Horowitz, wrote a piece about NFTs and 1,000 true fans. And I wanna ask you about the, the crypto part of it in a second because I think you might have interesting thoughts. But the idea that that we are back at a place where you a creator, a maker uh, like yourself, could make a living with a fairly limited audience um but one that you have direct contact with um does that seem plausible to you personally right now like for yourself do you think that this could be a full-time
1: gig for you i do Um, i do i don't think it's a slam dunk and i think i think it could go either way but but i think it's plausible i think it i wouldn't be doing it if i just like i wouldn't be doing it cynically just to say like oh well they're mm -hmm. giving me some money so i'll just i'll just take that and uh and, and work on other projects like I'm, I'm really looking to make a go of this um, for the reasons just discussed that I like. I don't know if it could be the full time thing, but maybe it could be the base in the way that a column was. And what if you were a different
0: version of Rob Walker starting off your career, not someone who'd been at Slate in the New York Times, the New York Times magazine and hadn't had that exposure. I think a lot about the parallels of like indie musician who's never been on a big label versus an artist who was on a big label, had a fan base and now goes off on their own. Um, do you think that, that, that is a path for someone who doesn't have national, international exposure at the beginning of their career?
1: Yeah, well, I think you're seeing people build things from the ground up. Um, and it's going to depend on whether you've got something, you know, whether you've got a clear angle, if it was just like, Hey, I'm Rob Walker, I'm 23 years old and I'm kind of an interesting guy. That's not really going to fly. But mm-hmm. if it's, you know, uh, we talked once about Nick Kwa. Uh, yep. So that's someone who was young, came out of nowhere, built his own reputation, and, you know, just did it bit by bit. And um, the podcasting, obviously, is his beat for those readers who are listeners who uh, don't know his. Uh, but, you know, that newsletter became the basis of his, uh, you know, self-independent career.
0: And, right. Um, it was a passion so, project, and now it is yeah. potentially a real business
1: for him. Yeah. And so he, he had something to say, you know, like, so I think that that's the difference. Uh, he's got a beat and it has, and that beat has an audience. And and the fact that you are
0: interested in sort of designy stuff, stuff that is both thinky, but also commercial, right? You, you do write about tech. You do write about design. You do write about stuff that a professional audience is interested in. Is that something that you have consciously sort of carved out or is that just you followed your muse and that's where you ended up?
1: I would say somewhere in between those things, um, I followed the design stuff and some, to some extent the tech stuff. It was following what the market was and where there were openings, what other people weren't writing about. So, and it wasn't my idea. Like I did a story about the iPod early on. It was a design story that was just like a sort of deconstruction of how this thing became iconic so quickly. And. Um, that was, I believe that was Hugo Lindgren's story idea when I was at the Times magazine. But, you know, that it became clear to me that like, oh, there's, there's some space here to do this kind of thing that not a lot of other people are, are writing about. It's pretty commonplace now. And same thing with consumed. There was an opening. There were, People weren't taking consumer culture seriously in that way. Again, that's become routine. And I'm not saying I invented anything, but yeah. like the... The zeitgeist has changed around some of that stuff.
0: Yeah, I had Taylor Lorenz on the show a couple of years ago now, and I remember saying to her, like, I've been waiting for someone like you who is young enough to not freak out the people who are making YouTube videos and TikToks, <laughs> but has enough and, and 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 appreciates what they're doing, but also has a little distance to explain this world to us because no one was writing about it in a serious way. Yeah. Um, and it's great when that stuff syncs up. I do, I do, I'm curious about what you think about the boom, boomlet, maybe it's already a bust in, in the idea of crypto and, and associate blockchain, any, any version of this um, <laughs> that has to do with the kind of work you do. So, um, and, maybe, and, and if there is anything, because you're always interested in, in weird, weird sounds pejorative, um, interesting ideas about writing about culture and what ownership means and what objects mean. You literally had a project called Significant Objects where you took these really banal things and had real writers write interesting stories about them. And it seems like the world is kind of coming to the, uh, at at least it's kind of coming to the place that you've been interested in for a while. And I'm wondering if any of that catches your fancy.
1: I mean, it does and it doesn't. I, I, uh, I would draw a distinct, like a, a Bitcoin in particular is something that just gives me a headache and I, I've been so wrong about it. For so, like I've just said like this can't continue yep. to be a thing. And obviously it has continued to be a thing. What really interests me about NFTs, and this is often the case, it's like I'm actually not personally that interested in it, but I'm interested in some of the people who are interested in it and why. And I'm not incredibly well-versed in it, but with NFTs, uh, there's an artist, Ryan McGinnis, who I'm a big fan of and uh, friendly with, and so I follow him on various uh, channels. And um, he was hosting a series of, uh, uh, I'm going to draw, what's, what's the audio app that was uh, incredibly hot? Why am I drawing a blank? You know, I'm talking about uh, everyone's well, talking about it. Uh, uh, maybe,
0: are we, are we, we could we could already be over it. Are we are we talking about uh, clubhouse? No, house, clubhouse, clubhouse? Clubhouse? Thank you. Okay. Yes, yeah, the clubhouse is
1: is a couple months ago now. I think. I think yeah, uh, I know. Yes. It's it's a kind of a. Well, I can't believe I drew a blank. I don't know if that's portent, but I can't. Anyway, but so yep. he was hosting stuff on on, and he's a smart guy. So and a real like you know like not a not a attention hogging sort of, you know, stunt artist. He's like a real artist. And and I'm not saying that everyone involved in Mm -hmm. NFTs, but it's just like, I'm interested, uh, I'm taking it more seriously as it Develops. Um, so
0: there's there's no there. You're not like hmm. Maybe there's like a, a n- art of noticing NFT that I could sell. I, there's a <laughs> way for me to interact. I mean, again, back to this Chris Dixon idea. They Like a way for you to interact with your super fans.
1: Okay, so there is actually not art of noticing, but there's a uh, there's a, a side project sort of a personal like book sort of thing that I'm going to do on Kickstarter. The photo of some photos. And I have thought like, I should just, I shouldn't make it published. I shouldn't make it a physical book. I want to do it as a limited edition print, but I think maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should make it a digital book and make it an NFT. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or maybe both. I mean, I I am kind of serious about that. So yes, it's sort of got my eye a little bit. Okay, I'd be I'd be a little freaked out if,
0: if you came on and said I'm totally into crypto or this is the next phase and <laughs> and by the way I've got a I've got a new Rob coin that I want yeah. you to buy and and uh, me and Gary Vaynerchuk are working on it I'd be, yeah. I'd yeah. be shocked um, yeah. but I
1: was curious but also if I was still working for Marker I would probably be writing about that stuff at this yeah. point I had kind of, I was kind of ducking it for a while there because I wasn't sure first there was just so much heat around it and so everybody's doing takes. So now it's kind of reached a point where it's like the the things that does is settle enough to where I think it would be a legit subject to cover.
0: All things being equal, if you have a choice between making a living for a platform, whether it's a medium or a New York Times or some entity that's gonna pay you a salary and help you out and, and figure out, uh, you know, all the stuff you need to do to get by versus really just doing it on your own with, you know, with the help of a substack or any other, uh, any other
1: apparatus like that. What's your preference? I mean, it really depends on the details, but let's just say for all things being, like, let's say that I could, I, I would prefer to do the self-sufficient thing um, if I can swing it. But you know, the caveats around that are like, sort of workaday things like, well, just how much money can you make? And like have health insurance and stuff like mm-hmm. this. But the reason at this point in my life that I would prefer to be self-sufficient is just that I've been around and I've been through enough situations where the, the almighty institution that you're depending on changes its mind about something. And, you know, it's nobody's fault, and I have no bitterness about that at all, but that's just how it works. And people, supervisors change, people come in with new visions, and you're left to start all over. And it would be great to not ever have to (laughs) worry
0: about that again. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, the flip side, of
0: course, is you have to, you're the one responsible for keeping those subscribers happy and, that's and right. giving them product they want. And that's they right. you decide to not work for six months or you can't work for six months, that's on
1: you. Yeah. Right?
0: These that's all the trade-off. Problems. That's
1: the trade-off. And like I say, it's partly this, this point in my life. I've been through, and I, maybe that's counterintuitive because maybe, you know, given that I've been doing this for so long, you would think like, well, wouldn't you like to just... Kind of like have a safe job. And I guess if, you know, I guess this is would also be if you could just change the equation, if you could guarantee if you could give me tenure, but there is no tenure. Um, So it's always a risk and it's foolish not to be aware that it's always a risk, like no, no disrespect to the entities that run it, but you can't trust any of them. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, no, there is there is no safe
1: job, right? And even there a tenured no professor stuff. doesn't really have tenure at this point, right? Because the school right. might go on right. uh, go under and right. like, get rid
0: of the department or whatever it is.
1: And that's nobody's fault. That's just reality. You know, that's yeah. just that's just part of living in this kind of society. So
0: yeah, and if you were a steel mill worker in Pittsburgh yeah. in the 1970s, you thought you had a safe job, and then you didn't. Right. This is getting kind of. Dystopian and, and depressing, but um, <laughs> Rob's stuff is great, and you should be reading it and consuming it if you haven't. And by the way, Rob, I, I, during this conversation, I was remembering that what I reached out to talk to you about when you when at Slate was the the novel idea of putting uh, sponsor logos on uh, uh, athletes' uh, uniforms. Oh, you're kidding! That's, that's, what, that's what we were, talking, what we were talking, about. talking about. Yeah, and I was like, you know, they do this in Japan. I was I was that guy. <laughs> And so I don't, know <laughs> well, if you're you, watch, I don't know if you're watching Russia.
1: the NBA now, but it's fully, it's fully baked into American culture. Yeah, I was going to say, it's long since I, we're one step away from once the technology exists for them to change logos mid-game, you know, like sort of have this dunk brought to you by, uh, I mean, on their uniforms. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably next year. I think we're there.
0: <laughs> Rob Walker, it's great to see you. Great to talk to you. I look forward to seeing you in person. Uh, Rob's Substack is called? Uh, the Art of Noticing. Robwalker.substack.com. Go pay him so he can live the life of an independent creator. Thanks, Rob. Peter, it
1: was a pleasure. Thank you so
0: much. Thanks again to Rob Walker. It took 20 years, more or less, and I'm glad we finally got it done. Thanks to Joel and Jelani for producing and editing this show. Thanks to our sponsors for bringing this show to you for free. This is Recode Media. We'll see you next week.